This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, fighting against ageism in the workplace and the marketplace. Find out more at carp.ca. Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. Are these the last days of cash? I talk with Cornell professor and author Ishwar Prasad, who predicts coins and bills will soon disappear. And tomorrow is so-called Blue Monday, which some people peg as the saddest day of the year. We'll discuss how the pandemic has made the whole year sadder. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. The populations of our two largest cities declined last year amid the pandemic as immigration waned and more residents fled to cheaper housing markets. In the year ending July 1, 2021, Toronto's population dropped by 16,600, while Montreal's decreased by 46,700, according to Statistics Canada. If you include the whole census metropolitan area, Toronto managed to grow, albeit at its slowest pace in at least two decades, while the Montreal area still declined. Here's proof the pandemic has widened the gap between rich and poor. There was a wealth surge in the past year. A new billionaire was minted every 17 hours, and altogether the world's wealthiest are $5 trillion richer. Jeff Bezos of Amazon is the world's richest person for the fourth year running, worth $177 billion. The richest Canadian is Changpeng Cixi Zhao, who runs the crypto exchange Binance and ranks 11th in the world with an estimated net worth of at least 96 billion U.S. Cigarettes are still the number one cause of preventable death in the U.S., according to the Centers for Disease Control. Yet last year, for the first time in two decades, cigarette sales increased and the pandemic could be to blame. The questions researchers are trying to figure out, are there more smokers or more frequent smokers? This after cigarette smoking has been in a steady decline among adults in the U.S. for 30 years. Government ministers in the UK are backing a call for God Save the Queen to be played at the end of the day on BBC and other public broadcasters. They say it would provide a great sense of unity and pride, especially in this, the Queen's Platinum Jubilee year. BBC One used to sign off for the day by playing the national anthem, but since moving to 24-hour news in the late 90s, it has not done so. Toba woman who lived through two global pandemics celebrated her 111th birthday this week. Jemima Westcott, the province's oldest living person, was joined virtually by her family for the milestone celebrated at her long-term care home in Brandon. 
She and her siblings were studied by university academics to discover the root of their extended lifespans. Westcott was widowed early and has been single since her early 50s, joking, maybe that's the key, with nobody around to nag her. I'm Libby Zneimer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. Do you still carry a lot of cash, and how often do you use it? There's no question the pandemic has accelerated the move to contactless payment. My next guest argues that the end of cash is almost here and it will affect us in many ways. Ishwar Prasad is a Cornell professor and author and a fellow at the Brookings Institution. Around the world, digital payments are becoming the norm. If you look at many developing countries, um, low-income countries such as Kenya and even um, middle-income countries such as China, Um, The use of cash has really fallen very significantly because it's just not that convenient for consumers as well as businesses. You know, for businesses, they have to deal with the hassle of managing cash. There are problems with uh, storage of cash. It's um, liable to loss, theft, and so on. There are some rich economies, including um, both the U.S. and Canada, but also Japan and Switzerland, where the use of cash is still prevalent. But I don't think that will last much longer. I'm looking at a statistic here, and it says that nearly half of all transactions were in cash here in Canada in 2008, but in 2020, just one-sixth. In North America, um, we are somewhat behind the curve relative to the rest of the world. In a country like Sweden, for instance, um, cash is used for barely uh, 1% to 2% of uh, transactions. Um, Likewise, in China... Um, the use of cash has plummeted to basically zero because um, there are two payment providers, Alipay and WeChat Pay. They do a fantastic job of providing low-cost payments so that even buying a piece of fruit or a dumpling from a street vendor is economical both for the vendor and for the customer to use a digital form of payment. I see a lot of vendors here that will say they're giving you a bonus or a discount for cash and their issue or they say their issue is the cost of the transactions by the banks. That's exactly right. North America, as I said, is behind the rest of the world. In the U.S. and Canada, um, for a variety of reasons related to regulation as well um, as the lack of um, broad competition in these markets, um, we are in a situation where payments are actually quite inefficient and expensive, especially for uh, businesses. So if you think about the interchange fees that are charged by credit card companies, for instance, those are astronomical in both our countries, the U.S. and Canada, relative to even Europe um, and uh, other parts of the world. What would it take to get the cost down here? Would it have to be regulation or what? Now, a lot more competition would certainly help. Um, Right now, um, there is a system that makes it difficult to get away from credit cards because you've gotten used to Uh, using them so much. And the credit card companies have been very effective here at protecting their businesses, partly through regulation, but partly also, Libby, frankly, just by driving us customers. So um, when I use a credit card for a transaction, buying a cup of coffee or buying groceries, I know that that is going to get me some cash back or some um, airline miles or something of the sort. But competition is coming. And of course, Many central banks, including the U.S. Federal Reserve and the Bank of Canada, are contemplating someday issuing digital versions of um, our physical currencies. So instead of uh, dollar bills or Canadian uh, dollar bills, 
you might have a digital loonie or a digital U.S. dollar. Uh, and that would provide some additional competition that could bring down costs and make digital payments much more the norm. I remember back in the before times, there were a few businesses run by millennials that said, mm, we're not taking cash, but that has really accelerated during the pandemic. Uh, do you have any numbers or any perspective on that? Now, certainly around the world, um, the prevalence of contactless forms of payment really got a boost uh, thanks to the um, pandemic. And we've seen um, in virtually every country, um, including the U.S. and Canada, the use of uh, cash for transactions decline over the last year. But there is something curious that happened over the last uh, um, year and a half. During the pandemic period, the amount of cash in circulation actually went up. People seemed to want more cash but not because they were using cash for transactions. They were using cash basically to store it. This is a phenomenon um, that I think speaks to how the tangibility of cash really matters. You know, I still uh, tip my Uber drivers and coffee baristas in cash you know, because I think it creates a sort of personal connection which simply wouldn't be there if I gave the tips um, on my app. So the tangibility of cash is certainly something that a lot of people, myself included, do treasure. But I fear that um, we might not have that privilege much longer. Well, I don't know. It sounds like people are putting that cash under the mattress. Maybe they're worried that, uh, you know, uh, ATMs won't work or something like that. That's certainly an issue. Now, cash comes through in a pinch. In addition, of course, to privacy, no digital form of payment is ever going to give us a sort of privacy and anonymity in financial transactions that cash can. Of course, that's not necessarily a great thing because that ends up with cash being used sometimes for illicit purposes. Do you have a timeline when we see the end of cash? In our part of the world, in North America, I think in the next five to ten years, it will be difficult to see cash having a viable future. Okay, that's fascinating. Thank you so much, Ishwar Prasad. It's been a pleasure, Libby. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. That was Professor Ishwar Prasad, author of The Future of Money, How the Digital Revolution is Transforming Currencies and Finance. I'm Libby Zneimer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. Coming up, we check in on Canadians' mental health as we approach a pandemic Blue Monday. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP giving you the opportunity to get involved and make your community a better place for seniors. Find out more at carp.ca. According to research from the Canadian Mental Health Association and the University of British Columbia, the pandemic is taking a big toll on our mental health. The dead of winter is always a difficult time, Margaret Eaton of the CMHA has some coping tips as we approach Blue Monday on the third week in January, which some say is the saddest day of the year. You've just done a survey on mental health during the pandemic. Um, what was the most surprising thing you found? I would say the most surprising thing is that 77% of adults reported feeling negative emotions as a result of COVID-19. And, you know, we talk about resiliency a lot, and we are resilient, but the vast majority of us are, are suffering under COVID. And 
41% of Canadians said their mental health had deteriorated since the onset of the pandemic. And then when we look at children, 70% of school-aged children have experienced a deterioration in their mental health. What exactly is a negative emotion? In our survey, it was any uh, kind of associated negative emotion. So it might be feeling sad, feeling angry or irritated, uh, feeling depressed. Um, any of If the recipient chose any of those answers on the survey, we counted that as a, as a negative emotion. Is there really a problem with feeling a, a negative emotion when things are negative? You're quite right. You know, it's a perfectly normal, healthy response to feel uh, sad or angry or irritated right now. There's lots of good reasons to feel that way. Our concern is when that tips over um, into um, uh, what could become uh, really poor mental health. So if you're finding that you're unable to get up and do regular tasks, um, if you're constantly uh, dwelling on the issues around COVID-19 and it's interfering with your relationships, for example, or if you're having things like difficulty with sleeping or you're starting to overuse substances, all of these things can be signs that perhaps you've tipped into um, not just, you know, the negative emotion we all might feel, but into something that's, that's less manageable. Now, on Monday, we have... Uh... Blue Monday, it's it's not very scientific. I think it's mostly a marketing thing. But there's no question, certainly speaking for myself, that that cold, dreary weather doesn't help. Uh, is that the winter? Is that a contributing factor to everything that we're experiencing because of Omicron? Yeah, exactly. The winter is a really tough time for a lot of people. About 15% of Canadians actually say that they have winter blues. And then about 2 to 3% of Canadians actually have seasonal affective disorder, which is depression brought on by low light levels and, and colder weather in the winter. But yeah, the winter can be a really tough time. And I think I've really felt this. I found last winter very difficult to deal with. And going through this period, January, again, um, under similar conditions, just feels like a lot to bear. So when the days get shorter, it gets darker and colder. You end up kind of having less energy and a lower mood. And it can, it can definitely feel like uh, a blue time for many people. So what are you recommending? What, are the, what, what do you say that we should do? Well, um, getting outside is ideal, and um, and that is also because the light, especially if you can do that in the middle of the day when there's a bit of light outside, the light can be really helpful for lifting mood. Um, so going outside um, when it's sunny, uh, despite the colder temperatures, can really help. So whether that's things like just walking around the block, shoveling the driveway, or going for a little hike. We also really recommend that you try to make it social because we know it's our social connections that really help us with our mental health. And it's one of the things that we miss when we're isolated and in lockdown. So being active with members of your household or your friends is a great way to uh, encourage each other to work out and walk, say, for example, but also it gives you that social connection. So getting together virtually, like chatting on the phone while walking, or maybe even participating in a virtual exercise class together. And that's the other thing that we've really learned about um, 
through the pandemic is the value of the virtual. So there's so many ways that you can exercise indoors um, and move, whether it's even just putting on a YouTube video of your favorite song and dancing um, or participating in a yoga class or a Zumba class. There's so many great options online. And as I said, it doesn't have to be for long, 15 minutes a day, one, one or two songs uh, that you listen to, that you move to, do some squats, jiggle, all of these things, as long as you're elevating your heart rate a little bit, will actually make you feel better and will contribute to helping you get through what is a difficult time for many. Margaret Eaton, thank you so much. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Bye. That was Margaret Eaton of the Canadian Mental Health Association. That brings us to the end of this week's edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Snymer. Thanks for joining me today. Be sure to come back next week to stay up to date with all things Zoomer worldwide. Zoomer Week in Review is produced by Zeev Hadi, Christine Ross, and Paul Thomas. Technical producer, Justin Eacock. Executive producer, Moses Snymer. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.